Hi, this is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs we're going to be talking about werewolf and mafia style games. Games that have different hidden roles among the players and deduction and deception. And ideas for working parts of those games into your D&D campaigns. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. But before we get into that, I'll remind everyone as always that uh, after the show we will be hosting our after party chat is a unique uh, feature of our of our show and available to all our patrons in our Patreon. Uh, so at 2 p.m. Eastern today, right after the end of the show, we will be on our private Discord server hosting a live video chat with Dan and I and all of our patrons. If you'd like to join in on that, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash DMs. Join at any tier. You'll get an invite to our Discord server. And you can hop on the chat at 2 p.m. One of our favorite parts of the week, actually. So, Paul, we are not. Some of us are not entirely done with Halloween this weekend. There's a there's a number mm. of uh, I know there's a number of like game sessions some of us had. Uh, some of my friends here in New York had a Hall- you know delayed Halloween party last night. Um, so I thought it was a good opportunity to talk about werewolfy type games. And to be clear, we're thinking about you know th- this game form was originally called Mafia initially. Uh, and then it was kind of reskinned, and a lot of people call this werewolf type games. Or I guess more generally, you can just call them hidden roles type games. Um, and I think you were uh, you were playing one of these this weekend, is that right? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I actually uh, just last Friday night got to play in a game of Blood on the Clock Tower. Um, yeah, it's funny. Hidden roles, I almost think, is not quite right because I might lump something like, say, citadels into the concept of hidden roles. Um, and and I think the important aspect of this is that the role that is hidden is one that is contrary to everyone else, right? It is a like a so sometimes I yeah. call it like a hidden team or a traitor based game, like something where at least one of the players is actively pretending to be part of the team, pretending to work alongside the other players, but is actively trying to subvert uh, their goals. Yeah. So I was researching this and I found it just a fascinating slice of little gaming history. And of course, you know, there's lots of games that have some kind of deception element. You can talk about bluffing and poker and you can talk about diplomacy that was like very, very influential for uh, the guys that um, created D&D and the war games that fed into it. Um, But these mafia type games that have a hidden team to it is a surprisingly recent invention so you can specifically point to i guess i guess technically mafia was invented in 1986 1986 by a gentleman named dimitri davidoff when he was a graduate student in the psychology department of moscow state university so these games actually come out of um research in psychology that kind of spun off into these these gaming experiment experiments um, hmm. And uh, Davidoff working in, in Moscow, the first thing he thought to theme it as is uh, is the mafia. And then that was reskinned, I guess, in the, in the late 90s 
uh, as a werewolf game by Andrew Plotkin came up with that idea. So most of the games that we're talking about have just been made in the last 20 years or so. Not, not super recent. They're still being iterated kind of rapidly even today. And I will point out that apparently about.com uh, named Mafia as the most significant tabletop games invented in the last 200 years. Uh, which I thought, which I thought was interesting. So some of some of our friends really adore these types of games. I'm I'm sorry, Dan. You've you've uh, thrown me here. Absolutely thrown me because I had oh, to do okay. some very okay. very quick research here. Uh, uh, I didn't realize that An uh, Andrew Plotkin uh, is the one who reskinned it into Werewolf. Um, because I think I used to work with Andrew. That's super oh, really? weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make Surprise, sure it's Surprise, hidden rule. Plot Andrew Plotkin was was secretly plotting to, to, to reskin this game all along. You didn't know about it. Is it really him? Good I on you, Andrew. Him. It makes it makes sense that it's him. That's wild. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's it's totally him. Hi, Andrew, and for listening, guess I'm reviewing your game. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely wild. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it, is, it is a recent game, right? And I think it's fascinating that it comes out of kind of, you know, uh, psychology, you know, academia. Right? Yeah. Fascinating. Like, at what point did it stop being a social experiment and start becoming just a game that's just fun? I don't know. Um, I, I, the, the feeling I get from, from Davidoff is that he was, you know, a graduate student in psychology, had these thoughts running around in his head and needed to blow off some steam, maybe. And so uh, was, you know, a game that was psychology themed at the, at, the, at the outset, I think, and then became very popular in Russia and expanded, you know, to the U.S. and stuff like that. Um, so kind of, you know, it, it, things are bad. I find things are best when they're both. They're both. Yeah, I can see that. And that's where the magic happens. Yeah. So I suppose just in case someone is watching that has never heard of these games, because we're so in depth with it that we, we might overlook some people might not know what we're talking about. Should, should, should you or I, Paul, give like a very brief, basic, how you'd play yeah. Mafia in the most basic sense? Yeah. And, 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 and I'll go over actually. So my, um, so, so the interesting thing, Dan, I think is your, our history, our collective history with this game is that um, a long time ago, now, probably scarily long ago, in the early mid-2000s, mid-aughts, uh, we were in a board game club that would frequently uh, kind of end the evening with a game of Werewolf. Um, and uh, it was just very popular at that time. Uh, we super enjoyed it. I have here a printing of the Looney Labs game uh, called Are You a Werewolf? Okay. This is it. This is okay. the whole game. Little tiny plastic baggie with a, a handful of cards in it. The fact is that the mechanics of this game are so simple that you don't even need a real print of it. I, I've played this game before with uh, regular playing cards. Because the, the only thing you need for this game is to know the rules and to have a way of, to hand out secretly amongst a group of players what role they're playing that night. Um... So I think the first time um, I ever played Mafia at a party at a party, it was just a, a standard deck of cards with pulled out to the right numbers. Yeah. 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 Usually you do something like, okay, the, you know, so in, in, in this version of Werewolf, there are, there are three roles, I believe in the original socially. So uh, in the original 
social experiment, I think there were only two, but yep. there are three roles. Most everyone's a villager. There are maybe two or three werewolves amongst them, depending on number total number of players. Um, and there is one person who's called the seer. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of a, an add on now this deck of cards. So basically deck of cards is the whole point is to just pass out the roles. So most of the cards just say, you know, uh, villager, just say villager, you're a villager. And then there are a couple werewolves, right? There are two other special cards in this, in this particular deck. There's again, as I said, the seer card for that role. There's also a moderator card. So this game oh. usually benefits or, or requires a, a person, a DM-like role, a person, a moderator, a person who's in charge. And the this this printing of it put it as a card so that if you have a whole group of people where you want to mix that up, right? Instead of somebody volunteering, you can just say like, well, whoever draws the moderator card has to be the moderator this round, and then maybe we'll play another game, another game of it, and somebody else will do it. Um, the gist of it is. Uh, again, as I said, and, and the the fascinating thing about this game is it's purely social, right? All of the mechanics are just talking to each other, and uh, it it works best with large groups, right? My printing here says for seven to fifteen players, right? So, yeah. so I think that's why it was kind of the darling of our board game group back then, is because by the end of the night, most games we were playing, right, we we're going to cap out at what maybe eight players, probably the largest board game you're going to get, and then we had a big group. So this was a nice way for us to all come together at the end of the evening and be like, and we're all going to collectively play this game, this one game together. Nice. nice. Um, so, okay, so gists of the rules are basically a bunch of secret roles. Um, the game progresses in two phases, daytime and nighttime. You have a moderator who begins the game by saying um, that, um, you know, that they're going to dictate the, this, this phases of play. During nighttime, everyone is required to close their eyes. Uh, the moderator will instruct the werewolves to open their eyes. They can see each other across the table, identify each other silently. The whole goal here is not give away that you are a werewolf. And then agree on a person to kill, usually with like finger pointing, right? And then they, they kind of nods or whatever, and they agree and finally say, yep, that's the person we're going to kill. Um, the moderator then has everyone close their eyes and reopen them so that nobody knows who's who. And they t announce this person has died. They're removed from the game. And then we go into the day cycle. And the day cycle is everyone collectively has to discuss who do we think are the werewolves amongst us who's killing people. Um, and they are then allowed to vote on one person that they would like to lynch during the day. As we, we suspect you're a werewolf, we're going to hang you. And they, they, they kill that person then gets killed. And the game proceeds day to night, day to night until either... Uh, there are sufficient werewolves left. To the, the ratio ends where I can't remember it is if there's like four people left or something that basically it's guaranteed that the werewolves are going to win. Again, depends on numbers of players. Right. At a certain point where right. it's like guaranteed that at this point that it's impossible for the werewolves to lose. So eventually there will be only werewolves. Werewolves win. Or if the, the town, if the people manage to lynch all the werewolves, then, then the villager team wins. Uh, like I said, this game introduces the role of the seer. Uh, which is an extra role of a person who, after the werewolves close their eyes, the moderator will instruct the seer to open their eyes and point at one person, and they give them a thumbs up uh, if they're a villager or a thumbs down if they're a werewolf, or maybe it's the other way around, I can't remember. Anyway, they use a hand signal to indicate. So basically that person every night is getting a little piece of information of what is the role of this one other person. That obviously is very valuable information, but given the fact that there are multiple werewolves, uh, there's the the threat of if I come out and say, yeah, I'm the seer, I know these things, we should we should lynch this person. 
probably the other werewolf's going to kill that this year that night, right? right. So, right. Um, right. So it's interesting. The seer is kind of encouraged, especially in the early game, to keep their knowledge secret, or not their knowledge secret, but keep their role secret. Which is, I've so seen uh, play with the seer where they sacrifice themselves, where they just come out and say, "I'm the seer. I know I'm going to get killed, but that's a werewolf. I think the I think will I think the villagers will win." If I do that, but then you, of course, it's it's a completely open negotiation game. So maybe one of the werewolves comes out and says, "No, I'm the seer, and that's the werewolf." Yep. Uh, it right? Is, it is, is a game of bluffing. Is a game of bluffing and reading, right? right? And reading your your fellow players and the, the whole yeah. So it's right. definitely you're encouraged to kind of you know, if you're a werewolf, you're encouraged to try to deceive <laughs> the players as in any way you can. Plus, there's right. the interesting aspect to that. Most players only know their own role, right? The seer is getting some information, but the other people yeah. who know the roles, it, frankly, is the werewolves. The werewolves, because every night they identify each other, they know who each other are. So they might back each other up or what, do whatever subtle things they need to do, right? To, to, to right. you know, turn, turn the discussion in the wrong direction. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a fun game. Um, I think it's a fun game. It's not for everyone, I will say. There are definitely some people I yes. know who have trouble with this game, right? And specifically, it's usually people who are like either terrible liars, right? Or just not comfortable with lying because the uh, game, you have to lie yes. to your friends, right? I, this is a game where right. you must lie yes. to your friends. Right. And, so uh, and find out how good your friends are at lying to you. Yep. 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 Maybe not Which a thing not that you... Which is not entirely unproblematic. Want. Yeah. So I, I know some of our some of our viewers in the chat are uh, are saying, you know, some folks are saying, yes, I like these games a lot. And some folks are saying, no, I actually really don't like these these mafia werewolf type games. And I and I feel that when I when I first started playing a little bit of poker, I had to embrace the fact that I was going to find out how good my friends are lying to me, which is something that honestly had never really crossed my my mind before. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure that every, you should make sure that everybody's OK with this fundamentally. It's a game where people will be uh, removed from the game, which used to be part of every game, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Some people, some people prefer games in which that doesn't happen nowadays. And I'll say there's even been at least, uh, I guess, at, a, at, a, at an elementary school in New Hampshire, uh, there was a school-wide inquiry at one point about whether the game was overly traumatic uh, to be played by fifth graders in the classroom. So we've even had we've even had a tiny little bit of a um, mafia mania, I guess I'll call it. <laughs> um, you know, played played by by fifth graders in school. So yeah, you you do want to keep that kind of stuff in mind. It's a little you know, it's a little risky, frankly. There there've been a lot of reprints of of this game right again the, the interesting thing about this game like the way i just described it you could 100% play it without buying anything get yourself a standard yeah. deck of playing cards i usually use something like uh red aces or red kings and queens to denote the werewolves and then black low numbers to denote the villagers that's enough right maybe maybe put a joker in for the seer if you want the seer roll that's enough, right? Yep. You can you can use index cards and just write this crap on index cards and pass them out. That works too, right? Any any way of the whole mechanic, the only physical object you needed in this is a way to distribute the roles because then everything else is just talking. Um, I've seen a lot of reprints with that, and and the most common thing that they do, the most common way they expand this game is to add a bunch more roles, right? They start adding like, oh, right. you're the washerwoman, you're the 
Maybe sausage yeah. maker. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If yeah. you look at the Wikipedia article and and I um on about mafia games, the the number of optional variant roles just goes uh, dozens. It's on and on and on and on. And you can probably imagine, you know, our viewers are great creative DMs. You can probably just imagine an infinite number of different iterations of different roles like this um, yeah. that uh, can possibly be added to a to a werewolf type game. Yeah. yeah. Now this is I'll 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 jump ahead a bit here, Dan. Um, let me talk about. Uh, I have a, before you jump ahead. Could I could I give a recollection of this of this particular game that you were holding up there? I'm sorry to the Looney Labs there, one. Paul. Sure. Yeah. yeah, right. So I think that I was when that initially was published. Right, I'm pretty sure. Are you a werewolf? When that deck was initially published, I think I went to Gen Con the year that it was published, and I got in a game. I was playing a whole bunch of different stuff. I got in a game by the de the the developers of that with maybe you know 15 people, fairly large group. And I think in a two hour window, we probably played maybe like about six times. And the funny thing about it is that I personally just ran the board in every single game, whether I was villager or werewolf, like I completely just, just steamrollered everybody in the game over and over and over again. And so if I was a werewolf, I completely pulled the wool over everybody else in the game. And if I was a villager, for some reason, I had this uncanny knack of determining who the werewolves were, which is a very strange experience for me, frankly. So by the last game, I'd done enough damage that the game started. And before I could say anything, everybody else in the group just said, we need to execute Dan. We, I, we, we don't care whether we, we do not care whether he's a villager or a werewolf. It's just too dangerous to have him active he must be executed immediately as the game starts. And everybody went, yes, yes, Dan's out of the game. That is hilarious. And, and it's a weird experience for me because historically among my friends, I've, my friends usually have considered me fairly gullible and not good at keeping a straight face. So maybe it was just that particular context or maybe I'd gotten better or something like that. Or maybe it was better for me to be with a bunch of strangers because I'm really not used to being good at deceiving people. And it was it was a very odd... It was, it was a very odd little cycle that day. <laughs> um, there's some, um, you know, I've, I, I think the game really does vary based on, you know, the playgroup, especially in this, these most the simple kind of straightforward versions of them. Um, I remember playing with two friends who just were, were very close, very close friends. And so they were really good at reading each other. And so invariably, yeah. they kind of knew which role the other person was. Like they, they would start the game both kind of knowing their own role and this other person at the table's role. Yeah. And I think we started to have mm -hmm. a, a house rule where they were just not allowed to sit next to each other because that like, <laughs> for some reason, they were just so in tune that if they were next to each other, that information would be immediate. They would just immediately know and just cause chaos because they knew each other so well. Anyway. Interesting. All right. I, want, I, I, I know we're going to jump around and talk about a bunch of different versions of the game, but I want to talk about Blood on the Clock Tower because the most recent one that I did play uh, on Friday night, and it, it is, I would say, possibly the most elaborate version of this game I've ever played. So in this game, there are many roles. Everyone is, has a unique role. 100% everyone has a unique role. Um, there are mm -hmm. multiple different, right? So, so in this game, it's not a werewolf, it's a demon. You're, it's a demon that you're after. There might be one or two demons. There are also some there's some other roles that are in line with the demons again depending on number of players or whatnot you you have this big 
cheat sheet of all the roles and how their abilities work. And many of them have different things that they're doing in the middle of the night. And most importantly, you have the the, the keeper, the the moderator, whatever you want to call them, the, the storyteller, the person in charge. This giant book that, I, that we're looking at here, it's not a real book. It's a box. And uh, when you open it up, it looks like this. So it, it, this is the inside of this box. And all the little tokens have felt on the back of them. So they will uh, kind of adhere to the inside of the box, which is also felt. So it's enough that it kind of like just through friction sticks. And so the moderator is using this to track all of the information because there's so much secret information in this version of the game. So much. There's oh little things like really? you might have a character who's a poisoner, and if they poison you, then your ability doesn't work. And the storyteller is encouraged to give you the wrong information of what you ask for because you've been poisoned. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the moderator's got to track all this like state information about all the players. And so they do that with this elaborate wow. box, which looks very fancy. Um and it's 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 um it's funny because it's um it adds so much to the game, so much complexity to the game. Here's, here's, here's my complaint. I'll give you my chief complaint about this version of the game, which is it adds so many variables that it is utterly impossible to actually logic anything. So oh like, as much as you'll, you'll start talking things out with people and you'll, you'll winnow it down to the point of like, well, we know this much information so we can make some assumptions, but not enough to actually do anything. And you then have to, at some point, make some leaps of faith. You just have to say, I just trust this person for whatever reason, right? I'm sure that there are probably people who are really good at this game who have learned all the roles super well and then can start to look for specific tells or something. But my experience of it is that it's, it's, there's so many variables, it's just not possible to logic. And for me, the enjoyment of this game mostly comes in post. At the very end, there's an enjoyable conversation that we all have when once all the information is out, where we can all have the aha moment to go, oh, you were doing, oh, you did this because of the, oh, I didn't realize, right? So there's all these kind of weird discussions going on as, as the light bulbs go on. Oh, now it makes sense that you did this and why, and here's why you, you know, said this thing. But in the midst of playing the game, I'm usually at the point where I'm like, I can't, I kind of make no assumptions. There's so many variables to play. I can make no assumptions at all. And I just have to go with my gut instinct on who do I trust. And, and like it's, I find in Werewolf, especially because in Werewolf, uh, in the traditional game, right, there's voting, right? We're voting for who, who to kill. So that the key information as a villager that you're getting is how did everyone vote? And if you were going to be really technical about this game, probably right. the best way to do it would be to record that, have a little notebook and every day record who voted how. And then maybe you have your start to build some information. There is, a, there's a very interesting little point, like in the, in the, again, I'm kind of relying on the Wikipedia article about mafia of that. One of the key advantages the villagers have in a, in a basic game is uh, the, the voting patterns of mm -hmm. the mafia werewolf people will not be consistent properly. And that's the, the primary way that you can detect them later in the game. And so I guess there's a quote by Max Ventila, who asserts that if the villagers are allowed to keep a pencil and paper, they always win in the standard game. So that seems, that seems to track with what you just said there, Paul. I can see that. Right. I can see that. 
Um, so it, it does add another mechanic that I want to talk about a little bit, and I'm going to jump to another version of the game, unless you have stuff you want to talk about here, Dan. I'll just point out, I looked up, for what it's worth, I looked up all, all these games we're going to talk about here on Board Game Geek just to register the, um, the rating, right, the rating that these games have on Board Game Geek. Blood on the Clock Tower has, has, a, has an 8.3 rating, which is actually the highest of any of these games that we're going to talk about today. It's very popular. It, it has, it, yeah. There are some folks who are huge, huge fans of it. I think it does. Um, it maybe slightly alleviates some of the anxiety you might feel over having to be the werewolf. I feel like that's the, the most common anxiety. The most common reason I see people not wanting to play this game is that they get freaked out. Well, what if I'm a werewolf? Then I need to be deceitful. I need to come up with clever lies. That's difficult for me. I, and 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 is. Not only not only a difficult thing to do, but maybe uh, feels morally ambiguous to me, right? Like feels I don't feel like a good yeah, yeah. person right. when I do that, right? right? Because I've been told lying is bad, right? <laughs> right. So you know, yeah. Um, so I would I would posit that maybe in Blood of the Clock Tower, it's it's slightly I don't know if that's true. Is that true? One of the things we were discussing was at the end of our last game of it was. Um, because we were playing actually with an expansion that had a whole separate set of roles. You know, the expansion had all new roles, all new roles, <laughs> and we were playing with that. And um, you know, one of the things that 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 comes out with that is sort of like, how would you bluff? Like, what is a good bluff? Because you know, normal, um, in normal werewolf, there's just one bluff to make, which is, I'm a, I'm aware, I'm a villager. Maybe there's the seer bluff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I'm the seer. Mm -hmm. I swear. Got it. I you see. Know. I see. Yep. I see. Right. Right. In in Blood on the Clock Tower, you've got a whole page of roles to bluff as. I see. I see. Right. And what's a, what makes it? Which roles are good for bluffing? Is is an interesting concept, um, and it's something that's worth some thought. And I and I remember thinking about it and coming to the conclusion of mm -hmm. like I had identified one role. Where I'm like this role is very ambiguous and difficult to pin down, and it would be easy to bluff as. And then my second thought was, um, I'll also point it in Blood of the Clock Tower, often the good team, the villagers, are also encouraged to bluff because they may have powers that are giving them abilities like the seer, right? Much like the seer right. is encouraged right, to bluff. Right, right, right. Or bluff right. by omission, right? The seer is probably saying like, I'm a villager, I'm not the seer, right? Um, right. Until the moment when they can use it to most effect. Um, right. You know, so I, I one the other thought that had struck me as I was looking at my own role and, and figuring out how to play it, it was like, oh, if I'm on the good team, but I have a role that maybe I don't want the werewolves to know about, I might just if if directly asked, what's your role? I might just say, I'm not comfortable revealing that information. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is yeah, you know, honest. I cannot lie, but also, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Like it's in your. Yeah. I'm, I, I, the, the only lie potentially I'm giving is it's in your best interest to believe me that I should not reveal my role. But yeah. it could go cut either way. It could be because I'm a vampire or a vampire. It could be because I'm a werewolf or, or a demon or whatever. It could be because I have beneficial abilities. I'm a seer or something like that. That seems, that seems like a good tactic to me. Someone's probably going to pop up in the chat and point out why that's a bad idea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to talk about. Let me uh, the let me throw up one yep. let me throw up one single thing by uh, viewer Anate, um, yep. uh, pointing out that the fact that uh, the demon in Blood in the Clock Tower comes with three unused roles you can use to bluff as, along with the ambiguity of the information. 
Yeah, it's true. In Blood on the Clock Tower, not all the roles are right. used. Um, and and it and, huh. depend, and here's here's an interesting twist. So first of all, there are multiple demons. There's not just one demon. There are multiple oh, no. different variants of like which which <laughs> kind of demon are you? Oh, um, and and then um, also right. Also, there's the I think in some numbers of games, it again depends on player count. The uh, demon gets the extra information of knowing which roles are not used. I sometimes the I demon gets that ability. And I say sometimes because in the game I played last night, that was not the case. The demon did not get because of the numbers mm -hmm. and whatever they, the rules of the game instructed right. the, the storyteller to not give that information. To me. Right. I'm going to come back to Blood on the Clock Tower and talk what's talk more about what's interesting about it. But I want to I want to jump quickly to the resistance. So the resistance um, is let's see five to ten players. Uh, it changes the theme a little bit. It's kind of this weird you know, pseudo science fiction-y futuristic thing. And so instead of villagers and werewolves, we are members of the resistance or spies. So in, in theory, we are resisting some, um, uh, some totalitarian government. We are, we, ostensibly all the players are members of the resistance. But some of us are government spies trying to bring down the resistance. Um, so no CR role, just the two roles in this one. Okay. And okay. The, in, the most interesting thing, the thing that, that, that it adds is uh, uh, two tiers of voting. So basically what happens is in each round of the game, you're voting for a subset of the group to send on a mission. These are the, right. the yes. sub-members of our group that we trust to go do this mission. And that right. vote is public. And then there's a private vote of the members of the mission who then vote whether or not the right. mission should succeed or fail. And then right. you track the number of missions that succeeded versus failed. And after you fail a certain number of missions, you say, you know, the, the spies win. Uh, so the, the, what makes that really interesting is that there's no elimination. Because you get the two tiers of voting, right. yes. you, right. you no longer have to eliminate players from the game. And that is definitely something that, that older versions of the game, the traditional version of the game, suffers from. Especially in the very early game. If you're playing with 15, 20 people. You can play with, yeah, it says 7 mm -hmm. to 15 mm -hmm. on this but I've played with very big groups. Uh, first person kill, usually totally arbitrary, right? Like that first morning when we're voting on like, who do we think is a werewolf? Like, well, we have no information to go on. We have no context. So we're just going on mm -hmm. gut yeah. instinct and you know, popularity or whatever. We vote to kill someone is completely arbitrary or just the first person the werewolf is killed, right? That person gets out really quick. Yeah. And then those players just have to sit out the game, which kind of sucks. So the resistance eliminates that. I, 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 I will briefly inject at the time that that happened to me at Gen Con, my reaction was, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but that's, that's an unusual situation. Unusual situation. I don't, I don't reckon. To, for, well, for me sitting like, there, I was like, yeah, yeah, that, this makes sense. For a big game. And, and, and things can happen, right? Social dynamics can get built, especially if the same group starts playing the game over and over again. Weird social dynamics will start to emerge, like the one you discussed, Dan, where people said, like, Dan is so good at this game, we just have to eliminate him right away. And you could see how that might progress to the point of like, now Dan is always the first person to die. Now the game is like, you know, round one kill Dan. And that's not so much fun for Dan, right? <laughs> kind of sucks. I mean, it's amusing, amusing to me and probably all of our viewers, but you know, kind of sucks. So, so a game like The Resistance, I think is, re is a real nice, I, I feel like, like yeah. if you want the purest of pure experiences of playing this kind of social game, 
in a way that's super fun that scales well right right this game says for five to ten play you can you can play with smaller total groups with this game right because there's no elimination i would say this is kind of the most pure figure out the secret role version of the game very good uh blood on the clock tower also does have that um uh also removes elimination uh interestingly it, i think okay. when you die you turn into a ghost and ghosts are still allowed to talk and discuss okay <laughs> and they just they just don't get a vote actually and it's not true okay. that they never get a vote they get one vote they get a special little token that is their ghost vote that they get to do once during the game they can spend that token to like nope this is a pivotal vote i gotta get in fascinating fascinating yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Should we talk about uh, the follow-up to the Resistance, uh, Resistance Avalon? Coop? Oh, no. I thought oh, we were going to talk about Coop. Which came first? I mean, is Coop an expansion for uh, Resistance? or No, it's its own standalone game. Um, okay. It's made by the same group. It is also a uh, Secret Identities Deduction Deception game. Um, I don't. I don't know that that coup changes things so dramatically that I, I just thought it was where you're going. I was like, I'm, I'm curious to hear what Dan has to say about coup. All right, Dan, okay. talk about Avalon. Tell me about actually. So I have. So I haven't played the original Resistance, and I haven't played coup, but I have played the Resistance Avalon, which was an iteration hmm. of that. And the and and look, I, me personally, I'm not the biggest player of these games. Actually, I'm I'm more or less adjacent or accidental player. And so the specific reason that I've gotten in the game of Avalon is our very good friends, Max and Laurie and so forth, played this very, very heavily, apparently, in their college days. And I'm told they wound up playing this hundreds of times. And they, they said to me, I think, Friday night that they felt that they basically optimized the play of, the, <laughs> of Resistance Avalon. Um, and it worked the, the one, so this game, right. I got in and, and I got, I got flambayed, right. I was wrecked <laughs> playing with, playing with those guys. Um, yeah. and so this takes the resistance idea, reskins it to, uh, Knights of the Round Table with King Arthur and so forth. And, uh, just like Paul said, the, the core of the game is the same. You basically have good knights and a, a small number of evil knights. And it, you know, thematically it works great because they're going on quests, right? You're picking a team of knights to go on a particular quest. And then hopefully, hopefully you picked all the good knights. Uh, if not, they come back and they've, they've failed the quest due to that, that secondary vote. Um, uh, so thematically it works great. And then uh, assuming you're, you're playing with larger number of players, then they start working in these additional variant roles like, you know, what we've been talking about, the seer, is, is Merlin. Um, so mm-hmm. Merlin can find out who is evil and try to drop clues without letting on that they're Merlin because they're, one of the other roles is an assassin character who's specifically trying to kill Merlin and take him out of the game, right? Because, again, generally speaking, people aren't, aren't ejected with the one single exception if you have this assassin who's hopefully trying to eliminate the Merlin Seer uh, character. And then you have, I guess there's, um, uh, there's, there's, then you can add Percival and uh, Morgana and Percival weirdly knows the pairing of who Merlin and Morgana is, but doesn't know which is which. (laughs) So has a, has a set of two among whom Merlin might be. And then if the if the if the group gets really big, then you add Mordred, who's evil but not known by Merlin, 
And you might add Oberon, who's evil, but not known by the other evil characters. So you can you can iterate like that, and it gets more complicated about who knows. You know, now there becomes multiple layers of who knows what about who, um, yep. which can possibly make it pretty complicated. So I will admit that when I with uh, Max and Lori and Lauren and Stephen, uh, they they had specific ways to carry out the roles that they were very good at, and I was very much at sea, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> This, I mean, that's, and, I think, one my of the most was, interesting was, things. Yeah. One of the most interesting things to me about this style of game is the emergence of social dynamics within a small subset of people, right? So I've played Blood on the Clock Tower now three times with the more or less the same group. Every time we've played, there always seems to be somebody who's new. And I realized this in, in, in the last game. And, and frankly, the most recent game, I think, was the most successful one for me personally in, in terms of, of playing the game because I realized that the new person is much less likely to bluff about their role. Because when they're brand new, it's so overwhelming. Yeah. There's so much stuff going on that they don't really realize. Yeah. And I realized, and so I kind of added that into my calculation of like, okay, well, plus 20% to that person's validity of the things they're saying, because just that they're so new that they don't have the context with which to give good lies. Um, yes, yes. Right? That's a That's good a point. Weird that's yeah. a really good point. Oh, I mean, so here, here's the interesting thing. The person um, who was running the game for us, who plays the storyteller, she's done it uh, every time I've played with this group. Um, she, she loves these style of games. She specifically was telling me about going to PAX Unplugged to play in the Resistance tournaments and how interesting the culture around the Resistance tournaments is and told me how mm -hmm. a very common bluff for for a, a very good player of the resistance, a very common bluff is to come in saying, I've never played this game before. I don't understand how it works. Oh, please help me. Oh, 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 <laughs> right? shit. Yeah, oh my. Yeah. And she was That's a whole different how, level. Wow. Right. And then she was saying how, but the fact is she's gone year after year to these tournaments. So that now you start to see the emergence of the social dynamic of one player being like, I've never played this game. I don't know what it's what's going on. And then someone else across the table saying, bullshit, Kyle, I've played against you dozens of times. <laughs> right. You won the crown last year. Right. <laughs> or the trophy or whatever. Right. So <laughs> there's this whole like weird meta culture. That is, oh, that's that is building around the tournaments of these that's games. That's amazing. Right, just be like, no, just no, I wasn't the champion last year. No, right, I mean, and then I can just imagine somebody new, <laughs> someone who is legitimately new to the tournament scene, right. sitting down and being like, right. I, wh who do you trust? <laughs> right? The game is about lying, <laughs> and here I'm hearing lies about whether or not you've played the game before. <laughs> That's wild. That's Absolutely. a different level. That's a different level. You know, let me point out uh, on Board Game Geek. Uh, oh, God, I'm going to mess this up every time. Anyway, on the ratings that I was looking at on a website, <laughs> uh, the original <laughs> Resistance has a 7.2 rating, and the Resistance Avalon has a somewhat higher 7.5 rating. Interesting. Hmm. You know, so, which is among the highest. We, we may not have, collectively, Dan, we may not have enough information here to answer this question, but I'm curious. What does Avalon add that's not present in the resistance? Is it just these extra rolls? I'm guessing yes. Have me having uh, not played the original resistance, I'm a little bit unclear on that. Um, but I, I believe I believe that the extra rolls are, are probably it. I mean, now personally, with these types of games, I'm kind. Sorry, sorry, everyone. I'm kind of off screen here as I as I, as I 
<laughs> I got my spilled water. Um, sorry, bro. Okay. Uh, my personal preference in these games is I'm kind of a purist, right? I, I really like the original yeah. game. I still love yeah. this, this Looney Labs copy. Yeah, yeah. Or just Agreed. play with Me too. playing cards. I, I, I think I really enjoy the purity of that experience. To that end, also, I think the resistance is very high in my list of games. But yeah. we'll take you want to know my personal favorite? My Paul's pick? Yeah. The best version of this game? Yeah. This house is haunted. Okay. Okay. Now, mostly, I like this house is haunted because of some of the other stuff it has. So in this house is haunted, you've got... Uh, the, the the thought the idea behind the game is that there are demons that are that are um, I don't know haunting a house that seems seems wrong it should be ghosts but they're called demons um, you have a group of players they're trying to figure out who the demons are and they're doing so by exploring this haunted house um, and trying to suss out which players are demons uh, now the the fun thing about this game is this bizarre mechanic it has where the deck of cards is separated into little piles that you put into many different rooms in your house. And you're encouraged to play at night and turn out all the lights and everyone gets oh. a flashlight and round by round oh. you have to go and t- each at the beginning of the round there's each each round there's somebody's elected team leader or, or i think it just passes around the table somebody's the team leader and they assign people rooms i want you to go explore the kitchen i want you to go explore the basement i want you to go explore the bedroom and they go up there so with not the a flashlight. Board, not a board game your actual real house with actual actual, actual real rooms. house you need an actual real oh. house with many rooms to play this game. Oh, jeez. Right? And you got to go with just your flashlight turned on, and you go up the stairs, and you draw the card, and you maybe it maybe has some instructions for you or some information for you or something, and then you come back to the table, maybe. But some people don't make it back. Oh, wow. And, and then the group has to sit around the table and go, what happened to Dan? I don't know. <laughs> Should, what room did he go to? The, the basement? Should we send another person into the basement to find out? I don't know. Maybe? Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's a fascinating version of this. So that that mechanic alone just delights me. The other thing I'll point out about this game in terms of the secret role part is that at the beginning of the game, no one is a demon. And only through play do you become a demon. Okay. And okay. there are ways to unbecome a demon during play. Yeah. So the this oh. who is what role might shift during the game throughout play. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Which is which is fascinating, but I just love the the. For me, it's that immersive quality of of okay. walking around a creepy dark house with a flashlight, not knowing what you're going into, knowing that three people have disappeared into this room and never come back out. What's going on in this room? I don't know. I guess I'm gonna. Great. Sometimes, hopefully, Great. somebody breaks whatever curse is keeping everyone in that room, and then they all come trudging back. Go, oh, everybody's back at the table again. Thank goodness. Fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. So for me, why, why would I say this is my favorite version of the game? Because the secret role part is present, but it is not the point, I would say. It, I okay. mean, it kind of is the point, right? The, the, the goal of the game is to suss out who's a demon. Um, or, or, you know, but the demons and, the, and the, the humans each have their goal that they're working towards, right? And you want to try and... But um, I would say it's, it's, not the core me- it's not the main mechanic that you're interacting with constantly, right? There's more to the game than that. That's, that's why I Fascinating. Uh, I'll point out on uh, BGG, I'm just going to use the acronym now, uh, the, the, This House is Haunted has a rating of 7.6, which is second highest after Blood on the Clock Tower from the ones that nice. I looked at. Nice. Nice. 
I will, I will keep driving us forward, Dan, because the, the other... This yeah. is funny. This yeah. caused some miscommunication between you and I because you wanted to talk about Avalon, and I wanted to talk about Shadows Over Camelot. Right. No, totally different games. Totally different games. Shadows Over Camelot, I'm just yep, going to yep. show this here so you can kind of see a little bit of it on, on the camera here. Uh, it's a pretty complex multiplayer cooperative game where there's a lot of stuff going on on the board. There's a whole lot of different mechanics that you can interact with. There's different quests you can go on. Each player is playing a Knight of the Round Table, and you might be uh, trying to defend Camelot. You might be trying to fight the Picts. You might be trying to find the Holy Grail. You might be trying to go beat the Black Knight, right? There's all these different quests going on. And it's kind of got this all these mechanics of, you know, this automated system where the game itself, everything's degrading, right? Everything is constantly under threat. So some of the quests are going to fail and you got to pick which ones are, it's okay to fail so that we can try to push towards success. You could play this game just as I've described with all those mechanics and no secret roles whatsoever. It would be a fun game. And I have played it okay. that way and it is yeah. a fun game. Oh. However, there is cool. one extra thing in the beginning where there's a deck of cards where one of the cards says traitor and all the rest say something else. I don't remember what. Something, whatever. And there are more cards than total players. You shuffle that deck and you pass everyone out. Uh, pass one card out to everyone. And so someone, one person, only one person at the table may or may not be a traitor. There might be zero traitors. You don't know. Right. Zero or one traitors at the table. And the thing about the traitor is you're just encouraged to kind of still play the game, but just you know, be a hindrance instead of a help, right? <laughs> and so as you're playing this game, you're, you're interacting with the game in the way, you know, this normal kind of co-op mechanic works. But you're also just keeping a half an eye to be like, who is kind of playing the game poorly? And are they playing <laughs> the game poorly intentionally? <laughs> right? <Got it. laughs> so Got you it. can maybe suss Got out, it. I think that person is a traitor. And there, I think there is a mechanic in there for you to, to sort of try to essentially um, declare, I think this person's the traitor. And if you're right or wrong, then some mechanics happen. Um, very interesting to me. I like that a lot because, again, the secret role part is not... And, and this is the most extreme of this that I'm aware of, where the secret role is definitely not the gist of the game. The, gist, the point of the game is yeah. not to suss out who is the traitor. The traitor is just playing the game yeah. slightly differently from everyone else. Um, okay. it, does, it is helpful... It is certainly helpful to your success of the game to figure out who's the traitor, but it's not the main thrust of what you're doing. Nice. Nice. I like that. I particularly like, like there might not be a traitor. You might just, might just be hallucinating the whole thing. <laughs> I think that's really fascinating, right? That's, because it, it adds yeah, something to the discussion going on around the table of like, I think this person might be a traitor. It's possible they're not, right? It's possible that there are no traitors at the table. I don't know. Before we're out of time, like to, uh, you know, seven point, which is uh, lower actually among among this particular selection, but it's in it's in the ballpark, right? It's it, there. Oh. Nothing that I looked at it, it looked at is lower than seven. So, um, yep. Yep. yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, how these kinds of elements might be folded into more standard role playing games? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, let me throw up a question from uh, this Anate, um, which I think is a great question, uh, asking, have you ever used hidden roles in a role-playing session? I suppose alignment is often a hidden role. I'll say that uh, this is a good point because I actually, in my the, on the first page of my house rules, um, I actually have, you know, if you're when when characters are picking an original D&D uh, character, I say, write down either lawful or neutral on your sheet. If you're choosing chaotic, secretly inform the DM and write down mm -hmm. something else, uh, which I think is something Gygax would do, I think, at one point. I, I think I, where I picked that up from. So so good call on that. So, Paul and I, you and I have used um, hidden roles a couple times in our role-playing sessions. And the one that comes to mind is when we were running through the, um, the original version of, you know, what sort of became... The, the inspiration for Tomb of Horrors, right? Mm -hmm. um, the Tomb of uh, Rahotep is that is that Rahotep? Right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, we've we've run a game where we had actually I think twice where we've had you play a character that was the 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 resurrected soul of the evil lich at the end of the dungeon. And that worked really super well. In fact, our viewers can see uh, uh, a couple of years back when we played a Halloween game with the folks from um, uh, from WebDM. And um, uh, also, you know, shout out to uh, Emma and Jim and everybody. You know, good wishes to them at the moment if they're listening to this. So folks can actually see a play where we did that. And I feel that for that one-off convention game, that worked out really well was kind of really kind of nice twist surprise at the end. And in particular, when, when we were playing live at HelgaCon and people were shit-talking the Lich and turning to you in person in particular and saying, geez, I really hope the Lich can't hear this as I'm constantly <laughs> mercilessly throughout the dungeon. You're like, yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. That would be bad. Here's, here's a, a, happening a, right now. <laughs> ridiculous uh, totally ridiculous behind the scenes info for folks i've just i've just posted the tomb of rahotep video to the to the chat so you can watch it if you want this is also the origin of my beard there you go i i uh, it, was, it was during a halloween game i was playing a character named uh renee renault something like that and uh oh, yeah. i decided i wanted a, a mustache and so i just let my facial hair grow in um for that costume and then i and then i just never stopped there you go. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's great. Yeah. This is how, yeah. kids, this is how much we commit to our bits on one day. <laughs> we commit real hard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I had forgotten that we then ran that again. Um, we, I can't remember which one came first, that one or the one that we did at a, at a convention. But very I think fun. the one in person came first, I think. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. we were playing, Dan and I have played in the past with this idea of how do you how do you run a game with two DMs? What does it mean to run a game with two DMs? Mm -hmm. um, and and then somewhere along the lines, we came up with this funny idea of like, well, what if the players don't know they're two DMs? Right? Okay. So, th so, so the hidden role, hidden role that I was playing was maybe <laughs> the, a DM, right? Question mark? Uh -oh. <laughs> um, because I think we started with sort of like this, this notion of, well, one of the nice ways to play with two DMs is to have one of the DMs play the villains, right? Okay, you are the villains, you have complete control over them, you're going to be even nastier, right? Because you don't have to deal with all the other chores that a DM has to do, you can just focus on being a, a, a terrible villain. Uh, and, and thus, you get our show, The Big Bad, right? <laughs> so you can, you can see us doing that on The Big Bad. And then the, the next twist on top of that is, 
but don't tell the players this is happening, <laughs> which is fascinating. Yeah. So I sat in the game and I kind of was a semi-helpful, not really character who was just there with the rest of the group, like trudging along, doing all the stuff. I made sure to never help them to actually solve any of the problems. Mm-hmm. And then when it got to the, to the, to the final level, right? The, the end fight, I went, ha ha, right? Reveal. I am the evil lich. And there was, you're right, there was an incredibly delightful roleplay moment at the live game where I said, and I have heard all the terrible things you've been saying about me, <laughs> and you will be the first to die. It <laughs> 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 was a wonderful moment with, with, between me and that player. I think that was, it, was it really Lauren? puts a I lot of extra Lauren. heat on it. Yeah. yeah it, puts a, it puts really nice extra heat oh, as an actual individual was- person running that character, yeah. That was great. Now I will say, so we had a, a, a pretty long running campaign in the third edition era where we had one of our, um, and we were doing rotating DMs at the time, and we had one of our fellow players that that did that, that made a secretly evil uh, character that wasn't revealed for like a year or more, a year or two. And that, uh, that I, I, a couple of our fellow players didn't feel super comfortable with that one. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the reveal came when the player in question rotated the DM role for a couple weeks and then had like a plot that they'd... So on the one hand, you know, kudos for uh, laying down a plot that was, you know, plot threads that were running for a year or two before the reveal. That was impressive. Um, and then other, other, a couple other players were a little bit bemused at um, a team member that they'd come to rely on getting, you know, ganking, you know, ganking and attacking them uh, was confusing. So that, so maybe the campaign play, I don't know. Yeah. What an interesting, I, I almost forgot about this counterpoint, but what an interesting yeah, right? thing that was, because as I recall, over the years, like, and it, we were playing years, years, right, before he right, did right, this reveal. Yeah. And he and he based and and his his character was kind of a little dickish, right? Like it was yes. kind of an annoying character. Yeah, and, and yes. so we all of us were like semi annoyed yes. at him. So and, right, and, they, and just the reveal that blew my mind was that yeah, he was doing that on purpose so that we could really enjoy killing him yes. once it was yes. revealed that he was the yes. villain. The, but, right, good wow. point. Good, that, good, good, good. Way to play the long con. Right, but the yeah. question we is, we were we were a little bit irritated. <laughs> we were yeah, a little bit yeah, irritated yeah. for two years running. Um, I, and, and I the feel whole like thing that was, fell was maybe. I feel like that maybe fell a little flat for some players because right. it feels maybe slightly manipulative, or also maybe questioning whether, like, is it, um, you know, is it worth the reveal and that lovely moment of haha, we finally get to kill right. you? Is that right. worth? years of playing with a character that you find annoying <laughs> right? Right. right like I, what, you subjected to me the, me to this for how long just so that you can yeah. pull off this bit come on <laughs> well played again you know salute for committing to the bit yeah. once again we go hard <laughs> with that stuff um, so yeah, so, um, so in my experience, it's worked well, um, it's worked well in a one-off convention game and it's, it's been a little, uh, a little less digestible in a long running campaign game, but that's just a couple, yeah. a couple data points. 
my, my my instinct is that that's purely a timing thing. That that like if he had done yeah. it for just a couple of weeks or a month or two, maybe that would have gone over better. But having to, having done it for years, yeah, literal years, that is just shocking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> oh, what a thing. That's great. Um, yeah, I think I think that doing. Doing it as co-DMs, <laughs> that was super fun. I think that was very entertaining yeah. for us, certainly, and I think for everyone at the table that have me flip like that. Um, now, I now, man, now with that in my head, I almost want to find an excuse to do that again. Dan, we have to find a new, whole new set of victims who haven't seen the show yeah. uh, <laughs> right. to do this to, because <laughs> I want to do it and then, and then role-play my character as a jerk. I, they never, I don't think it dawned on me in that to okay, not be just okay. not helpful, yeah. but to actually be annoying, yeah. right? Just to role play as okay. a character okay. that they're going to want to kill by the time the end comes around. I like <laughs> running games more than once. I mean, I feel, I, I feel that I could, I could DM it better, frankly, the more, the more times I run it. So I feel, I, I actually, I feel like I could run that, that Rohotep scenario better. Uh, right. So I, I'd totally queue up for that. I, I don't know I don't know when how and when we'll be able to pull that off, but stick that one in our <laughs> maybe it wasn't the wisest thing to just reveal it publicly today. But anyway, it was it's, it it was it was it was it was it was very enjoyable. So um, you know, you never know what you're gonna get with us if we show up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh goodness. Dan, we are That's totally great. out of time here. We in fact maybe we're oh, edging on a little bit over here. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on on hidden role games? I, I have a couple here that we didn't even get to, but I know, I know, I I, I know that's the case as always. Uh, you know, inter- you know, not the first. I'm not the biggest expert. Not the first thing I would go to. I I actually see the the the, the little bit of problematic thread, um, but um, you know, I've had uh, you know good experiences, and I've had some where I was like, I'm just clearly going to lose here. So it might be nice if your group kind of learns the basics together if you're going to start, you know, playing a mafia werewolf type game and, uh, you know, working it in as an element to your role playing in a, uh, in a, in a one-off convention game. We have had really, that has been really interesting, spicy addition to some of our D&D games. So that, that I would recommend uh, the DM uh, find a compatriot and, and start playing around with that. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, it is It is definitely a style of game that I struggle with, frankly, a little bit, because it definitely, yeah, um, yeah it, pushes, it pushes some buttons, I think, that are that are hard in the moment to right? identify, like, what, what is it about this game that's making me comfortable? And then is it a fun discomfort or is it a not fun discomfort? Um, yeah, and it, especially for me as a player who really enjoys cooperative games, um, you know, it both scratches that itch and doesn't, right? Because it feels cooperative, but yeah. also you know somebody, you know, and then oh, now I'm in the role where I have to be the jerk, and I don't know. It's yeah. it's an odd, it's an odd, it's a different experience. To the extent that it's socially and emotionally a little risky, I think I want to, if in doubt, I think I want to fall on the side of yeah, that this should be in the world. We should we should have yeah. games that are a little bit that are frankly a little bit risky, and I wouldn't want I wouldn't want those things to be taboo in the world. I'm happy that some of our some of our friends have, um, you know, created these kinds of things. Fair, fair. <laughs> Uh, viewers, 
If you have any thoughts on hidden role games, lying to your friends, uh, <laughs> spins on this that we haven't touched on, um, you know, are there games with hidden roles that use it in a totally different way that we missed here? Uh, please leave us a comment in the comment section of this video. We'd love to hear from you. Um, maybe it'll spawn some new thoughts for future shows down the road. Yeah. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, subscribe to us. We're in the Wandering DMs. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of the sites. So look for us there and you get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those podcasts are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. They're also available through pretty much every podcast carrier out there. Google Play. Nope, nope. Google Podcast doesn't exist anymore or it's going away. What do I want to say here? Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, uh, all kinds of stuff. If you're listening to the show right now on one of those third-party podcast carriers and they offer the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And, of course, uh, big thanks to our patrons who support the show every uh, week and every month here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, uh, we have our uh, video after chat uh, every Sunday after the show here. Other benefits, the various tiers there. We would love to see you uh, join us in the video chat. There's other games we didn't get to today. There's other uh, thoughts that I had. You know, there's been a bunch of math papers written about the game theory to Mafia games, actually, that I didn't. I was looking for an opportunity to squeeze that into the hour here. <laughs> I did not manage to find it. So I can talk specific uh, math formulas around the game. But that's going to have to wait for the video chat. Um, also, Paul, I really wanted to congratulate you on the Fearful Ends Kickstarter that was successful oh. that, um, you know, I was running a show here um, uh, uh, without you last week. Um, so you've, you've, you've put so much effort in that game. It looks really great. Uh, you've been busting your ass all through the month of October going to conventions um, to tell people about it. So I'm so glad that got, uh, that got funded. People should go to fearfulends.com. Uh, uh, and they can they can go buy the PDF if they didn't have a chance to jump in the Kickstarter. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, at, at the moment of recording this, the fearfulends.com website is maybe a little out of date and still points to the Kickstarter. Um, there is there are places where you can buy the game online, but we are in the midst of uh, fulfillment here for the Kickstarter. So until that completes, there won't be a way to buy the um, physical copy, but you can buy a digital copy right now. Uh, from the site uh, watchfactorgames.com, but um, uh, or just just visit fearfulends.com. It'll you'll 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 find your way through. I'll make it a point to update that website because uh, I need that reminder. Thanks, Dan. Yes, <laughs> we, should, we should definitely join in, join the fun on Fearful Ends too. So uh, we'll look forward to that, and look forward to folks in the uh, video chat in about ten minutes or so. And don't forget, we are live every Sunday at one p.m. Eastern time. So please. Join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.